1: and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House.
0: Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people.
2: I leave you guys alone for less than two weeks, and all of a sudden there's concentration camps and racists and people <laughs> storming Area 51. It's just a nightmare that's the best <laughs> we'll never leave you alone again you can't be trusted with yourselves oh my god welcome back guys it's uh Barso politics I am your host Nick McGuire joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College hi guys hey Dick. howdy hi and we also have senior legal analysts with us, Professor Tom Cavanaugh. Hi, Tom. I never get tired of that <laughs> title. <laughs> uh, lots Great of to su- be here. Yeah. <laughs> lots of Supreme uh, Court stuff to go over this week. Um, before we do that, um, all the fun stuff. If you guys like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, guest suggestions, uh, want to see what we're up to, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try you can find on untapped on ios or android uh the podcast uh spotify itunes soundcloud stitcher google play music most major podcasting platforms uh and then we are uh, partnered with uh, predicted which is a real money political prediction market pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events um what's great for our listeners uh if you use the uh, promo link when opening up a new account you receive up to 20 dollars match on your first deposit so, for example, if you open up a $20 account, uh, Predict It will match that $20, giving you $40 to use. Uh, like I said, just use the promo link, Predict org slash promo slash Barstool Paul 20, uh, and check it out. I th- saw there was a, a, some new markets about uh, Trump's reaction yes. recently. <laughs> <laughs> it's just...
3: What is going on? It's been exciting. So they've added those new markets and then the the democratic primary markets are really fascinating yes. to watch. I mean, you're just seeing a lot of those sort of second tier
2: candidates start to move away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I said, we've been away for a while, lots of different things to talk about, but we have Tom here, so we're going to start with let's SCOTUS. Let's shall do it. We? So it's
3: our annual Supreme Court episode where we break down some of the biggest decisions of the year. As Nick noted, we're lucky enough to have our senior legal expert, <laughs> emphasis on senior there, Professor Tom Cavanaugh, back with
2: us to walk, through, walk <laughs> us through it all.
3: <laughs> we're going to start uh, with what are widely seen as the court's two most consequential decisions, uh, the citizenship question for the census and gerrymandering gerrymandering, both will have a significant impact on the outcome of future elections. On gerrymandering, the court ruled it had no power to intervene when states use partisan gerrymandering to draw maps for electoral districts, instead saying this was a matter for state legislatures and state courts. In the Uh. census case, the court ruled that the Trump administration could not add a citizenship question to the census. Well, they kind of said that, and over the last few weeks we've watched Trump, the courts, and his own justice department grapple with the true meaning of the decision. Tom, as always, an exciting time. We'll dive into both cases. But before we do, any big pictures to takeaways from the court's uh, work this term?
0: Maybe we should start by having a second of silence for uh, John Paul Stevens, who passed. The Mm -hmm. oldest uh, of our Supreme Court justices. 99. 99, the second longest uh, serving. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) He, after all, wrote the Chevron case, which is, in the annals of American life, one of the worst in our history. We can come to that when we talk about Kaiser. So I don't want to give too much silence. (laughs) All right, the court decided 67 cases this term. Listeners might wonder, how can they only decide 67 cases in a year? Lawyers wonder the same thing. Uh, 28 were decided unanimously. Four justices uh, had eight majority opinions each. So that is the uh, high mark. two of the liberal justices, two of the conservative justices. The Ninth Circuit continues to distinguish itself as the dumbest circuit in America. They accounted for 20% of the whole Supreme Court docket and 87% of that 20% were overturned. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, 12 of 14 cases uh, were, overturned. were overturned. Hmm. This is consistently uh, every year, uh, the case. And when I get to five to four decisions, it's not that that's a liberal court and this is a conservative one. They just plain don't think the way the Supreme Court does. 10 different justice alignments this year, which is a sort of an interesting, uh, I'm gonna to move to some themes in a second. Uh, that is to say 10 different combinations of justices and cases, and that is uh, nearly an all-time high for the court, uh, which suggests that people are moving around a lot in both majority and dissent sides. And last, a really interesting number on five to four decisions. There were 20 of them, of the 67. And uh, last year, it turned out that in virtually every five to four decision, the conservative block of justices prevailed. This year, it was 50-50. So the justices moved around, and more importantly, and I'm going to get to my first theme in a second to illustrate this, the conservative justices joined with the liberal justices far more often this year than they did last. So in half of the cases that were decided five to four, uh, the liberal side of the court won with one conservative justice joining them. So here's my first theme. Well, I should also say this. The Cato Institute, a fine group of libertarians, went 12 and 4 at the Supreme Court this year in cases that they had uh, amicus briefs in. That may be the most important and interesting fact of the day. All right, here's my first theme. Conservatives are swingers. (laughs) (laughs) each of the conservative justices joined at least one uh, uh, in at least one opinion with the four liberals to decide uh, a case resulting in a liberal win. Justice Gorsuch did it four times. That was the most of any of them. And Roberts did it in at least one case, which was, of course, immensely important that we're going to come to in a minute, and that's the census case. Um, The lowest level of agreement having said that the conservatives are swingers, was between, surprisingly enough, Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, who agreed less often than any other two justices this term. That's really curious. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you want me to go through all four, but uh, one of the things everybody said, uh, uh, you know, with Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation was, here's a court that's going to lean heavily conservative, and uh, we've lost that great middle, you know, Justice Kennedy. Turns out this court was more likely to have uh, uh, conservatives crossing the line, voting with liberals, and uh, finding cases in their favor than with Kennedy there.
1: Is there, is there a theme to any of those? I, I can see different type. You know, there, obviously there are different types of conservatives. There's libertarian conservatives and there's mm-hmm. you know, more social conservatives. And is there is is that where you're seeing the difference, or there's not necessarily a consistency to you know? Is it just that there are two different types of
0: conservatives, or um, you know, it just kind of came down yeah, to the case? It's a really interesting question. Justice Gorsuch turns out to be uh, more of a Kennedy conservative than Kavanaugh does. Uh, K- Kavanaugh's more an Alito conservative. Um, predictable in many ways, though not as predictable as Alito, uh, uh, but but more of that sort of justice. Gorsuch, um, just to take as an example, the Gamble case, which was a Second Amend- I'm sorry, a, a double jeopardy case, um, spoke very strongly to the need to protect uh, defendants in criminal cases. Um, he believes double jeopardy is an absolute rule that should bind in every criminal case at every level. Um, That's not necessarily the law and order approach Mm -hmm. to this kind of Mm -hmm. case. So I I, I think, Phil, you're exactly right. There are different kinds. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh turn out to be two profoundly different kinds. And there's been a lot of talk this year about Justice Thomas, who has really forged sort of his own judicial ideology. Um, uh, One commentator described his path this year as breathtakingly different Mm -hmm. than the rest of the conservatives on the court. So I don't know if I'd say it's a fractured conservative wing as much as I'd say, as you did, Phil, they think differently about these cases. They're generally speaking constitutional conservatives and relatively uh, strict constructionists, but they are willing to move around and, and make judgments they think are right relative to the law. Which is what you want to see, right? You want to
3: see this not be driven by deep partisanship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you like to see it get mixed up a little.
0: Which is an excellent point to make before I make my second one. (laughs) Let's do it. Liberals are followers. (laughs) (laughs) That is, the four of them all vote together virtually all the time. Uh, Now, not universally, uh, but there's far less crossing the line uh, among that group than there is the other now. And this feels to me like a really profound irony, given all of what happened and and all of what was said during the Kavanaugh hearings. Now we'll see what happens. You know, Justice Stevens took the court as a fairly conservative Republican Mm -hmm. and became a lion of liberalism. And who knows, maybe Kavanaugh bends farther right or even Gorsuch bends farther right. But right now, the fears of everybody that Kavanaugh created... Um, an unshakable conservative majority that would dominate the court turn out to be completely false Mm -hmm. and even less so now than during the kennedy days third interesting yeah intent matters one of the themes i i detect in this year's uh, decisions is the court acting as mind readers and and we'll talk about that both with respect to uh, gerrymandering but much more with respect to the census case but those aren't the only ones. There are several other cases where the court made judgments on the basis of what they thought people were thinking when they did something. Um, this is worrisome to me. So we'll talk about pretext in the census case in a little bit. But um, let's note that the census case is the only time in modern American history where the court has said something like uh, a presidential or a congressional uh, act is unconstitutional because the motives were bad. Just let that sink in for a minute. This is not, this is a big deal. We've th- spent a lot of times
3: talking about cases with yeah. you where we, we've, we've said intent doesn't matter, right? That the court is going on the law, mm-hmm. not what the intent mm-hmm. of the activity
1: was. Mm-hmm. And at least that historically, that's what the court, yes. does, that's yeah, the court has yeah, That's absolutely historic.
0: And so maybe the galvanizing event here is trying to get inside Donald Trump's head relative to all the different immigration issues that have arisen. You know, the, the wall case, which comes back next year, um, uh, one after another, people trying to decide what's going on in the guy's head when he does what he does. And the court has followed suit. But when we get to the census case, I think we should reflect on that uh, dimension of the case. This has not been done in modern history. It's a really big deal. The last one, just so we can get to gerrymandering, is that stare decisis is creating a lot of tension on this court. Um, Justice Kagan uh, versus some of the conservatives um, I, in a, in, let me interrupt for just oh, we,
1: a second, because I can hear people that listen to this who would say to me, what is stare decisive?" Oh, I'm <laughs> so sorry. I'm sorry. saying that. Yes, and, uh, I'm yeah. so glad you did. <laughs> in. Uh,
0: respecting precedent. Mm-hmm. Um, let the decision stand. Uh, previous, decisions. Uh, previous decisions. Previous mm-hmm. decisions stand. Um, and there has been case after case this year uh, where, generally speaking, the conservative side of the court was prepared to overrule previous decisions. Um, and where Justice Kagan took the position that doing so was inappropriate. The case where she makes the strongest argument about this is called Nick, K-N-I-C-K, the facts of which don't make any difference to anybody who listens Mm -hmm. to the the podcast, but in it she says, and and this will matter to people who listen, even if the law was wrongly decided by the court, and even if uh, it is glaringly obvious uh, that that is true, the only time the court should reverse itself is where there is, and this is her phrase, special considerations. And she thinks those are very, very rare. Um, Now, what she's clearly worried about is Roe versus Wade. The problem is that she can't make that uh, sort of argument consistent with the way liberals have thought in overturning, let's say, Bowers versus Hardwick with Lawrence. Mm -hmm. If there were no special considerations at work in Roe, then I don't know what they were let's say in Lawrence versus mm-hmm. Texas and, and the overturning of Bauer. Uh, sorry, uh, Bauer. So stare decisis is a big deal right now because that's what anchors the way people think about deciding cases. I don't think the conservatives see themselves as treating it in a cavalier way. They'd simply say if the law was wrongly decided, our job is to fix that. Mm-hmm. Kagan would say if the law is wrongly decided, you only fix it where there's a good reason to do so. Mm. So those are the four themes yeah. I see. Interesting. Yeah, it's it, the movement on
3: the right is is somewhat surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, when you first started talking the data, I was thinking Roberts was going to be the mover more so. But the fact that you said Gorsuch, Gorsuch. and Kavanaugh mm-hmm. have you know moving quite a, quite significantly as well that's that's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's one year, so it'll be interesting to see over time. Right. That's yeah. my point about yeah. Stevens.
0: Maybe this is a year where. Uh, uh, Kavanaugh and Roberts in their each particular way have good reason to be worried about their perception. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, The perception of them, I should say, and of the court. And it could be that as Kavanaugh feels more uh, confident Mm -hmm. in his role and in his space, um, maybe he reverts. I don't know. We'll talk about Roberts
3: Uh, later, but maybe mm -hmm. as he feels the court is in in a safer place, Politically, he might. Uh, that's not happening. Yeah,
0: that's the problem. It is not happening. the The docket next year has some very significant, mm-hmm. hard cases on transgender rights, uh, sexual orientation rights, gun rights. It's it, it, it's no easier a term next year than this. So when we get to that question, I think we should ask: yeah. To what degree should Roberts be worried about the court versus the law? The law.
3: It's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, should we start with gerrymandering or the yeah. census? You're yeah. okay. Let's, so we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about gerrymandering, and over the years, you've kind of convinced me that this is, this is the one thing that explains so much of what is, is plaguing our political system. And, and when this decision came out, I, I know we texted, and you weren't, weren't real happy about this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think both of these big-ticket cases were wrongly decided, um, and, and not on, on a political basis, but I, I, I think on a legal basis. Uh, let this line uh, be the one that starts our conversation Robert says in his opinion, where he uh, joins the four conservatives, not surprisingly, this, the fact that gerrymandering is inconsistent with democratic principles doesn't mean that it produces a judicial response. Mm. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of what other thing do we say this? We are undermining American democracy in ways that are... uh, Incalculably destructive, and if the court isn't the answer, and they think state legislatures and voters are, uh, I I just I think it's ludicrous. So can I? So the the the, the court um,
1: let political gerrymandering stand, right? So Correct. The, the as you read in the introduction, right. saying that it's left up to the state legislatures and state mm-hmm. courts if they want to deal with this. So how? Um, I mean, this is just my. My question for you, Tom. I'm kind of curious about your logic. How is this different from? So we've talked about other cases where you have essentially argued that just because something is wrong doesn't mean the court should intervene, right? Because Mm -hmm. you know Congress should change the law. So the court may not like the law; it may be problematic, but it's Congress's job to change it. Mm -hmm. So this feels a little bit like that. So why why does this bother you in a way that maybe it wouldn't in other in other situations? Yeah, three reasons. Does that make
0: sense? It absolutely. uh, Three reasons. The first is. I don't think there's any other remedy. That is, if the court doesn't intervene, gerrymandering is a permanent part of American life. And it turns out that even in states that have had these commissions instead of uh, partisan political, uh, it doesn't change that much. The commissions uh, uh, apparently aren't working. Second, um, the First and 14th Amendment arguments in this case suggest to me that the court has room to get into the case. So they essentially said, uh, this is a non-justiceable issue uh, for them. It's beyond the reach of the courts, is the way Roberts put it. And I guess what I'd say is th- the litigants in this case made a very compelling claim that freedom of association and uh, equal protection rights are violated in states where uh, gerrymandering takes place to the degree that it did. And all four of the liberal justices took that position as well. Justice Kagan's been angry a lot this, ter- mm-hmm. this term, uh, and this is another one of the cases on which she was. And she had a, an argument where she said um, something to the effect of, think of how many uh, maps you'd have to draw. Uh, and she said, well, this would be the 3,001st worst map mm-hmm. uh, or something to that effect. Um, Uh, The court has to get in where there are constitutional issues, and I think there are those. And I think when we get to the Roberts and the court as an institution, the explanation for not taking on the First and Fourteenth Amendment arguments is not a good one. The third reason is I'm not clear that Congress has the ability, I should say the power, to tell states how to draw their maps. That is, I think Congress could effectively say the same thing the court is. Uh, they can't invoke the First and Fourteenth in the same way the court can, but what they can say is, "Well, we can't tell Manhattan, or I'm sorry, Massachusetts or Illinois how to draw their maps. That's just not our job. Elections are done at the state level. States can do what they wish. The court has to get in to say either the Fourteenth Amendment means something in this context, and I think they think it doesn't, uh, or nothing happens. There are zero states east of the Mississippi that have a commission approach to gerrymandering." so effectively the entire eastern uh, half of the country is permanently gerrymandered because there aren't voter Mm -hmm. referendum options we live in a state where this is true that would change it so in illinois to have a referendum you need a state senator to put it on the ballot Mm -hmm. the very person who may lose his or her job as a consequence of putting it on the ballot (laughs) so shockingly enough They've declined to do that. Right.
3: Well, and the gerrymandering is getting better and better. Technology is allowing you to draw these lines more mm-hmm. strategically. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now is that I mean, the, the data suggests that there's maybe only a couple dozen Districts in the country that are truly competitive. Mm-hmm. You're moving in a direction now where so many of these are already decided. Nick, we've hit on this before. Mm-hmm. You know where the states are moving in a more not in a, in a more uh, partisan direction. Mm-hmm. It, the same thing is playing out for the at the federal level. I mean, this is yeah. I, I was I was sort of surprised. I felt like this mm-hmm. would be the one area where the court would say even if they didn't come down with a, a strict. Solution, but to say no, this is the, to give the full power back to the states was surprising.
0: Uh, I, maybe I'll add a fourth thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's not a reason. The, the first three were reasons why I think the court should have done something different here. But the fourth is that one of the things Roberts talks about in the decision, and and this was raised by litigants on that side, was, well, listen, this would mean the court has to adjudicate every election in America, and, and there'd be no end to uh, uh, the judicial interference with the democratic process. Wrong. Uh, They were given a standard for drawing maps, and they wouldn't have to interfere with elections. They'd have to simply look at a state map and determine, did it meet the standard or not? If it did, done. If it didn't, redraw the map and re-elect. And lower courts could enforce that, right? Yeah, Yeah. and the standard was based not on on some amorphous uh, wish list. It was was an algorithm, effectively, drafted by economists and, and statisticians, and it had an absolute numeric way of uh, drawing a map. So uh, maybe this is a fourth argument for getting in, and it is they could have adopted a standard. It would have governed map drawing, and it would have governed it in a way that would not have made them uh, officials in every sure. single election right. at every state, local, and county you know, sort of uh, level.
3: Here's another thing that I'm worried about. So the, the court essentially in this decision says that you can gerrymander for party. So for political reasons, mm-hmm. but the the, the the Congress has also said you can't gerrymander for race, mm-hmm. right? So the Voting Rights Act says you can't you can't gerrymander a district uh, based on on race, right? To say that we're going to do you that. can't
0: gerrymander to produce all white, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
3: So, but now you've got a situation where where party and race are starting to overlap in uncomfortable ways, right? So if you're a if you are a white conservative trying to gerrymander. Hmm. Your argument is always going to be openly, I am doing this for party reasons, even if your motivation ultimately were racially based, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, for for whatever. I mean, that that is going to be your argument. And I don't know how the court distinguishes now in those instances when race might be a motivating factor because all one has to say is, no, we're doing this for party reasons. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: It is interesting cuz I mean the point you made earlier Tom about the court doesn't has historically not looked at intent or motive right and in this one it seems like they did mm-hmm. and they said even you know we don't care right we <laughs> yeah, see what exactly the is, mm-hmm. right so get ready matter. for the contrast <laughs> with the gerrymandering case yeah, right it's right.
0: exactly what they said and in fairness the opposite of the scenario you just described is true that is a democratic uh, legislature could say oh we're just trying to produce major minor- majority- minority districts right. The Meet Voting Rights Act uh, yes. kinds of scenarios. And that's when what they're really doing, and sure. maybe both of these are you know, consistent, is protecting Democratic seats. You can't, it's hard. to. How do you separate it's hard those? To pull them apart, yeah, no, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. They should have done something here. This one, I'm just telling you, this breaks my heart. Even talking about it again, I'm heartbroken about it. <laughs>
3: Should we talk about the census as well? I mean, I Mm -hmm, I see these, especially when the Trump administration was was kind of making the argument for the census, you saw the gerrymandering and the census, those decisions sort of Mm -hmm. blending together. So, so reaction to the census case.
0: Well, boy, uh, again, I'm, I'm troubled by the decision. It's another Roberts uh, decision. Um, Here he swings over and votes with the liberals um, and essentially said, well, Wilbur Ross has the authority to do this. Congress has uh, delegated broad authority to Department of Commerce relative to the census, but we think he had evil motives when he did. And uh, uh, even if we stipulate that that's true, I'm, first of all, trying to reconcile it just with the case we talked about earlier. So they've got this incredible restraint relative to gerrymandering. Don't let's get involved in political issues, and let's be protective of the image of the court, and uh, this is not an issue that is justiciable. Well, now they're climbing inside the head of the Commerce Department Secretary's head and deciding on the basis of um, what I think everybody agrees is controvertible evidence. Let's not call it weak or strong, but certainly evidence that can be interpreted both ways. Well, he was up to no good. Mm-hmm. Doing a thing he's uh, entitled to do. This is this is what's so ironic about this case.
1: So it's a kind of w- does, step, oh, go ahead. No, it, I just, it does the contract, just to kind of highlight that, right? Yeah. The, the thing they say about gerrymandering is if you are doing this for political gain, mm-hmm. that's your prerogative. That's right? your prerogative. Right. In this case, mm-hmm. they're saying you're doing it for political gain, and therefore we're going to slap your wrist and say you can't do it. And it, so, which undermines of... American yeah. democracy more? Right, yeah.
0: gerrymandering, uh, gerrymandering ourselves into uh, uh, effectively um, two teams yeah. that never play uh, the same game with each other. Or asking a question about citizenship, the likes of so, which we've asked on American census forms, we did for decades and decades. Correct. Uh, can I? Can I ask a quick clarifying question? I haven't mm-hmm.
1: read the decision on the mm-hmm. census yet. Well, I, I, so I know what they what they decided, but what, what's the exact logic of it? Is, I mean, they, they must say something <laughs> legal other than just that he, he had bad intentions. You have? Well, you yeah, have I have the quote. Can, can I read? Because it? It, I okay, thought this was great.
3: Because he uh, Roberts uses the word <laughs> contrived. Uh, And then he goes on, uh, the sole stated reason for adding the citizenship question, so he goes on, "um, seems to have been contrived. Federal agencies, quote, must offer genuine justifications for important decisions, reasons that can be scrutinized by courts and the interested public. So basically what the Bush, what the Trump administration brought was, they said this was about the Voting Rights Act. It was really for political purposes. That's a contrived explanation, and the court has some that you should bring genuine justifications before the court. It it's sort of like he but, slapped him, say you're 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 lying to me.
1: But that, that, like that, I mean that that's a whether you agree with that argument or not, it's an it's an argument, right? There's logic to that. You can make an argument that every governmental decision should have you know, an abstract that explains the logic behind it so that the courts can, but that's not in the constitution, right? Right. There's nothing that says that a decision has to be laid out clearly in a way. So that's where I'm not sure. Is there a, like, what's the legal principle that they used? Is, is there one? I'm not, you know, I don't necessarily, I've said on the podcast before, I didn't think I didn't like the idea of adding this question. So I'm not heartbroken by the outcome, but I don't understand the, I'm not sure I understand the legal logic or the legal argument that went into it.
0: It, it is beyond what Bill said, premised on a federal statute that requires some explanation for administrative judgment. So it applies to all administrative agencies. Um, but Congress wrote that and the census uh, legislation in language so broad that even the court said, mm-hmm. we can't, tell him he can't do it. And, they haven't. So if this was an a, every other year thing, uh, two years from now, there's likely a census question on citizenship. The import of it is that it's a decennial uh, census, so we won't have a chance again for 10 years to decide the case. But basically, they sent it back to Commerce to explain again how it is that they reached the conclusion that this question should be there, um, which effectively means it's not well, because mm-hmm. of the, the time frame. Because time. of the time yeah. frame, not because the court said the question is inappropriate. And, <clears> throat> I, throat> and I, I think that got lost in the headline. Census won't include question, says Supreme Court, doesn't explain that the court didn't say the question was inappropriate. It said that the motives mm-hmm. of the secretary who put it there were <laughs> invidious. So it, they punted, well,
2: in essence. So I, I you, mean, realistically, they, they yeah. have to know the pure logistics of putting the census together means it, it's not going to be there and they're mm-hmm. not going to have to deal with it again for another mm-hmm. decade. Be straight mm-hmm. with us. Yeah. If, if you think if, if Trump had come and said, I'm doing this for
3: political reasons, <laughs> I'm doing this because I'm in, I run mm-hmm. the census. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is within my purview. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to help uh, Republicans. Mm-hmm. And you may, you may disagree with me doing that, but I have the power to do so. You think the court would have said thumbs up?
0: Oh, boy. It's, it's so hard to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the logic of their decision would suggest they would have to have said yes to that. Yeah. Having done what they did in the gerrymandering case. That's what I'm and thinking. And having yeah. said this the way they did say it. I, I, we, we said we'd come back to this Chevron thing yeah. that uh, Justice Stevens uh, imposed on the American public. <laughs> he did a lot of good things. But this Chevron says you always defer to an administrative agency. And I'm way oversimplifying, but you might recall the last not oh, maybe the last time I was here. Earlier, when I was here, we talked about the Kaiser case, which was all about the question of deferring to administrative agencies, and and the hope was in that case that they would, at a minimum, move toward overturning Chevron and say agencies aren't uh, authorities unto themselves; they have to act in ways that are appropriate, and courts can oversee the judgments they make. Well, the court decided it couldn't do that in Kaiser. So you've got a sort of threefold uh, horror show in these cases. We can jump in uh, on the census question and not defer to an administrative agency. We won't do anything about gerrymandering, which is ruining the American democracy. And oh, by the way, in Kaiser, we're gonna respect stare decisis. uh, There's previous decisions and not put back into the judicial realm judgments made by administrative agencies that are problematic. On those two decisions, on the
1: gerrymandering and the census question, was Roberts the only, he was the only different
0: vote, right? Mm -hmm. He was the only one who changed. He was the swinger. (laughs) I just so dig that that's the word we can use about.
3: (laughs) Well, how did you describe liberals? So the the, the conservatives?
0: Followers. Followers, Followers. right. I think both groups are gonna hate that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's (laughs) fine. (laughs)
1: So is, is the problem really with Roberts in that situation? Then I mean, were the other justices all pretty
0: consistent in their the take conservative on those justices two cases? have been opposed to gerrymandering reform for as long as it's been a question. There's been about forty five cases in front of the court involving gerrymandering. Right. generally speaking, conservatives always say this is a political question, not a legal one. Stay out of it, and liberal justices generally say democracy matters mm-hmm. and we should do something about it. Um, So you'd expect Roberts to fall on the other side. And I guess when we get to the institution's questions, I'm going to suggest, or question, this is not about Roberts and law. This is about Roberts and appearance. And anyone who listens to this podcast and has ever heard me knows that I think a great deal of John Roberts. Mm But um, I'm worried about the direction he's taking in terms of protecting the institution. And, And this gerrymandering case is one good example of that.
3: This is gerrymandering is only going to get worse and worse. So you know, states now have to run away from this. Both Democratic and Republican mm-hmm. machines are thinking, "All right, how can we do this? How can we win?" And whatever our state legislatures do, this is this is it's it's going to get much right. much worse. Apart from
0: drawing a voting district in a way that excludes uh, racial minorities, yeah, you can draw your map any way you like, mm-hmm. and and then say to the uh, local newspaper. Ha ha, we got away with it, and the court said we could. Yeah do something about it if you like.
3: And the effect of that is it's only going to create more partisan legislatures, more partisan Mm -hmm. members of government, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to reinforce, in some ways, which is what they want.
0: Federal and state.
3: Yes, exactly. That's really important. Federal and state. We're not going to have more moderate voices in government. That's part of the reason I think this was such an important decision. You want to put different people together so that you can elect candidates that have more reasonable, moderate positions.
0: Go back to something we said before any state that's got any brains at this point, given the census situation, is going to declare itself a sanctuary state. Because if all we're doing is counting heads mm-hmm. to apportion seats in Congress and money from the federal government, you want as many human beings filling out a census form from your state as humanly possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the things that is producing... you know, We're going to come to the, the tweets and <laughs> uh, to, try and find some serious dimension to that. But I think one of the things that's driving a lot of frustration is... Um, who is it that we're supposed to have Congress representing and paying for? And this is an invitation to states or cities or counties to draw in um, non-citizens who are then counted in many ways in the same way citizens are. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the most important way uh, or two ways, <coughs> sure. and that's apportioning seats and spending money. Yeah, this is
3: yeah uh, troubling. Terrible. we should deep, talk well, beer uh, deep. troubled, yes, deeply trouble yes deeply problematic <laughs> deeply problematic that's what it is. It's, it's really a it's a slippery, slippery slope yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah it's rare that we come away from these conversations with tom um less sure or, or less positive than we came in yeah. but this wasn't yeah I, I don't like this one Tom. This is, no. <laughs> all
3: right let's chat about beer phil what's what's in your frosty mug uh
1: i'm drinking a portland pale ale from lone pine brewing company which is in portland maine uh, it's their American pale ale. I've had this once before. Um, it's it's uh, it's fine. It's I, I feel bad when I say it's fine, and by that I, I don't mean like it, it's a perfectly good beer. I would gladly drink another if you gave it to me. It, there's nothing bad about it, but there's nothing like every now and then you have a beer, especially in the pale ale category where some it just kind of stands out. Something about it is good, and this is. It's, it's, it's like an average pale ale. It's good. I'll drink another if, if somebody offered it to me, but I'm not, you know, not, uh, not going to lay awake dreaming about it tonight.
0: I like that a familiar refrain in the Phil uh, uh, reviews is, I'll drink another if someone gives <laughs> that's it, so it to me. I'm <laughs> not going to pay for the fucking <laughs> that's thing. It's it like deeply me. problematic. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it comes up with some regularity.
3: It's <laughs> a good philosophy. <laughs> Tom, why don't you tell us about the first beer that we're, mm-hmm. we're enjoying.
0: Uh, this is a uh, sea salt stout. From Waypost Brewing in Fennville, uh, Michigan. And I'm going to just read the way they describe it because it sounds a lot like Grateful Dead lyrics, which uh, makes me happy. <laughs> Full-bodied, fabulous, and without spatial awareness. Oh, that's good. Sounds like Dark Star, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Bursting with aromas of roasted coffee and dark chocolate, sea salt at the finish, rounds things out and adds a counterpoint to the complexity. That's... <laughs> And it's all true, every it's, word of it. It's Deep. It's a really great beer. It, it was a wonderful uh, beer. It was very good. Very uh, believable, uh, light and drinkable in the summer. Um, terrific new brewery. Uh, kudos to
2: them. Yeah, I mean, I, you you made the point before we started recording. People think of stouts as being so just heavy mm-hmm. and kind of overbearing. This is it's really light. It's it's fairly carbonated and it's fairly low alcohol content. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, five
0: point one.
2: Yeah, it was that was a fantastic beer. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: so the second one, which we're just sampling right now, is from Alter Ooh. Brewing. Uh, Nick, you likey? Yeah. OK.
0: Man, go for the review, Nick. So, I've never seen him so excited about a beer. Right. This is
3: the Alto Porto Porter, uh, a malt forward brew, uh,
2: heavily dominated with notes of chocolate, caramel, and hints of coffee. Nick, I'm just going to let you go. What are I'm you like, I'm not even getting it. I don't know. There was almost like a floral thing in there. Hmm. Mm. Or fruitiness. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that that shocked me. It was such a it's it's such a difference from the last beer, which was really good. But yeah, it's just this is less a little less sweet, maybe. It's a little less sweet, and it does have that kind of I don't know about citrus, but yeah, it's yeah. a a weird mix between like a citrus and and caramel note. Mm-hmm. I guess
3: it's so, really good. <laughs> so this is a question for Tom. They have I don't know how to pronounce this. Fuggle hops. F u g g l e. Yeah, <laughs> are, th- are those good hops? They all, say, they all keep, hops, my friend. Hops. It, says it, it keeps the sweetness in check. Yeah. So, yeah, Alter Brewery, well done. That that was uh, that was a good beer. Mm-hmm. All right, next um, week. Oh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, uh, real quick, if you guys um, want to check out the beers that we have on the pay, uh, podcast, mm-hmm. um, uh, check out uh, Untapped on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics, and you will find all of our beer reviews on there. All right, let's go to speed round. Yep.
3: We're going to take a quick break from the Supreme Court to talk about what else the president's tweets as everyone in the entire world now knows on sunday trump posted a series of tweets in which he promoted what many see as a racist trope suggesting that four minority congresswomen should quote go back to their countries of origin and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came the real story here may not necessarily be the tweets themselves but the reaction to them not surprisingly democrats were quick to condemn the racist language of the president. Yet, unlike Trump's previous racially insensitive comments, Republicans remained relatively quiet, and most declined to call the tweets or the remarks racist. Trump has seized upon this reaction to double down on the position, tweeting, in all caps, if you're not happy here, you can leave, and calling anti- these kind congresswomen anti Israel, pro Al Qaeda, and concluding that certain people hate our country. Thankfully, Trump clarified the entire episode by noting that those tweets were not racist, and he doesn't have a racist bone in his body. Case Uh, closed. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Phil, this episode was a doozy, and it does feel to me as if we're seeing a shift in how the Republican Party approaches Trump, uh, which is something we've talked about before. But what's, what's your read on this?
1: Uh, well, I mean, there's a whole conversation that we could have, I guess, about the whether these tweets are racist or not. I don't know if yeah. that's a conversation worth having. Uh, I'm I'm kind of curious. I'm going to throw it back to you to yeah. start because you say that you, this seems like a shift in the Republican Party. So the 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 what what has happened since is that. Uh, Yesterday? Mm-hmm. Was it yesterday when the House had the vote that, that uh condemned the, the president, which hasn't happened in like a hundred years or something like that? Um and uh I see two sides to to the way that went. So that the House did vote to condemn the these these tweets. Um but it, it broke out into this huge fight where Republicans essentially took the argument, not that these weren't racist, but that it is improper to call the president racist on the on the floor of the of the house and then there were four republicans who voted Correct. for yeah. plus amash who's yeah. te- no, no longer a republican so you i don't you the way you framed it made it seem i don't know like you seem to think that trump has kind of gotten a, a grip on it and i i was not overwhelmed by the number of Republicans who sided with the Democrats on this, but a little surprised that four or five of them, that's, again, we've talked about how opposition to Trump from the Republican party will come not in, uh, you know, it's not going to come as a tsunami. It's going to come in, it eventually might be, but it's going to be a little here and a little there. So the fact that the that Republicans didn't stake the fight on, no, he's not, he's, this wasn't racist and that they that there were a few people who sided with him seems like I, I don't know what to make of that I, do, you, do you you see it as like it a little off-
3: victory for a little victory or
1: I, I think I think that when you're when you're dealing with all the you know Trump is so unusual yeah and and the opposition like we you know the, I feel like the first two years of the Trump presidency everyone was sort of always four steps behind because you're trying to catch up with it. this is not normal this is not the way things have been done but I think that to the extent that opposition to Trump or opposition to his sort of nationalist rhetoric, if it emerges, it's not, you know, you, it's going to be a big picture thing, right? It's going to be looking at over time, this movement that had it occurred. It's, you know, more geologic than than, uh, you know, instantaneous. Mm-hmm. And and this seems like I, I don't know, it seems a little a, maybe a little shift in that direction. yeah so I, I read this I exact opposite. Okay, so yeah. tell me what you said.
3: Well, because I, I look at who's responding. So it was the four members of Congress who voted against it. Mm-hmm. They were nothing, right? I don't even know any of their names. They don't matter. They may be in competitive <laughs> districts. What matters in a moment like this is when somebody, for instance, like Paul Ryan has previously condemned the president when oh. he did this. Uh, But instead, Mitch McConnell, some of the heavy hitters all got in line. I didn't say got in line, but they didn't use the opportunity to respond to say this was inappropriate to the president. They were silent. Um, And Trump is not running from this, right? And previously, when he said insensitive things, there was a little bit of pushback from the party. And he seemed to say, "Okay, I I shouldn't do that. There was no pushback. I mean, I, I don't think... Justin Amash, I don't think that's real pushback. I don't think four members of Congress. I mean, Mitt Romney, when he was asked about this, initially looked so uncomfortable. I mean, he said, I, you know, I don't." he kind of walked away. Then he later put out a tweet saying that those were inappropriate. But it feels like those Republicans are on the defensive right now. You know most of them were deeply troubled by this, upset by this. But I feel like the party doesn't have the strength to push back against the president in a way that they might have a year ago or certainly Two years ago, that, that's I don't know. That was just my sense of it, and uh, I don't know. Other Tom, okay. So oh,
1: let me let me throw one other yeah. thought out there real quick, and then I'll, I'll shut up so other people can talk. It, this could be an example of of two things can be true, right? In, in that you're talking about <laughs> yes. uh, you're talking about sort of a party level thing, which is that the institutions of the party could be solidifying around Trump. Institutions, but you could also have uh, you could also be having essentially individuals who start sh- chipping away, yeah. right? As mm-hmm. the party solidifies around Trump that may be the thing that pushes a few of the Republican parties like Amash out of the or away from the party. Mm-hmm. Who Bill might,
0: so just described as meaningless, vote- marginal, Correct. and useless, I
3: believe. No, I, I, I don't think they have the same power as Mitch McConnell. I, I, Justin Amash- False, I, I, that's not what you said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well that's what I, that's what I, I think in terms you of- You dumped all
0: over the only libertarian in Congress.
3: <laughs> no, I love that Amash is pushing. I'm glad that he's doing that, but I doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, it doesn't no. matter in the same way that, they asked Mitch McConnell, whose wife is an immigrant about this, and he even had this just awkward answer where he said, immigration is good for the country, but he wouldn't confront the president on his, on his language.
1: But what, I mean, this is like, uh, you know, when you talk about voting, one vote doesn't matter, right? So I, I, I don't want to be naive and, you know, mm-hmm. Pollyanna-ish or whatever, but Justin Amash, one person or four Republicans don't matter today. But if you add another one in a week and another one in a week and another one in a week, that's eventually it does matter. Sure. And so that's where I, yeah, I don't, I mean, again, I, I'm really torn. I am both disheartened by the extent to which this is just sort of taken as the new norm. But I'm also, I don't know, maybe a little in, little encouraged. I, so okay. what,
0: about, what about the two of you, Nick yeah. and Tom? We, Bill and I have gone and talked too much. Mm-hmm. A pox on all their houses, <laughs> as you might imagine. <laughs> um, but I, there's two observations I'd make. The first is I saw a Gallup poll that indicates uh, when people are asked, do you identify as a Republican or a Democrat, uh, 27% of Americans are prepared to say they are uh, of a party. That is to say about three-quarters of Americans no longer want to affiliate with a party. And I think this is why. Um, Trump is a crude, juvenile, often, uh, well, Mm -hmm. I'm not thrilled with many of the ways the others have talked. Mm -hmm. And I think this equally crude, us versus them, I don't need any more black voices that aren't black or brown voices that aren't brown, um, this is very troubling to Mm -hmm. me. uh, deeply problematic. Yes, and yes. I, I have a horse in this race. You know, I'm like Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. My wife is uh, Bahamian, uh, so she's Caribbean black. My kids are three different colors of, uh, of brown. And, you know, how do you explain that? They're old enough now that they figure this all out themselves. What do you say to a kid who's told by a member of Congress? You know, if you're brown, you got to be brown. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's an us versus them mentality that's really, really awful. Mm-hmm. And both sides need to step back from this because normal, everyday people are saying we're just sick to death of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, Maybe I'm not normal in every day, <laughs> but I am sick to death of it. And, mm-hmm. and I. Uh, well, I'll stop. I, I'll, I'll stop there. We're going to see
3: more of it, though. I think that's the way the 2020 election is shaping up is this is identity politics or mm-hmm. I think it is so, so at least so I want to be
0: on record saying boy I think this is terrible yeah. it's immoral yeah. it's unprincipled uh, it it improves nothing and it and it this phrase marginalized people it's marginalizing people who aren't prepared to say right. I'm that and nothing but that and this is the sort of presley line that's right?
3: such a, and the mm-hmm. more that each side embraces that identity. Mm-hmm. It forces the other side to also embrace mm-hmm. their otherness, right? I Correct. mean, that's a, that's right, and it's it's a it's a cycle where both mm-hmm. sides it's a terrible. Cycle. No, nobody wins, but yeah. you, you're, that's natural. Sorry, yeah. Nick, you should, no, no, yeah. no, you're fine.
2: Um, no, I, this is it. Was it's just such a terrible, unnecessary fight to pick, and and just in such a horrendous way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like Tom said, the rhetoric from the other side is equally uh, problematic, in in my opinion. I, I. I I didn't say equally I, I said I was deeply troubled by it. Here's, here's why I think it's equally as problematic because realistically this is that that identity politics bullshit where we're talking about concentration camps and or all Border Patrol agents are pieces of shit and the Earth's going to end in 12 years, and but they're all going to talk about all of 13, our rhetoric. 13. Yes, whatever, 13. <laughs> did, did they add a few months? Yeah, yeah. Is it like a doomsday cult now that didn't get the date right? It was a cold winter. Okay. Um, and yet they, they have this rhetoric about being positive, and we need to put a positive message out there, and you're members of Congress. And the only thing that I've seen, especially these four doing, is putting themselves out there and their brand out there as opposed to representing their constituents. <laughs> I Like, I think... The problem is that they're they're trying to take on a, a, a demon that isn't part necessarily of their more important element of their their job description. Sure. Your job is to represent your constituents. And yes, this is something that should be fought and and should be should be managed. But I haven't seen like, like what, what did we say? It was 100 years or something since the last time that something like this was was uh, a resolution like this was brought before Congress. You can't pass a budget deal. You can't pass an infrastructure deal. You can't pass uh, a comprehensive immigration reform. But this is the big thing. It's identity politics from beginning to end. And it doesn't stop. You're not doing your jobs. I, I get it. Trump is he's he's horrendous in a lot of these situations. You still have to you have to make policy. Yeah. you have to make compromise and, and I don't see anyone doing that, and these four, especially I, I like i I think they're that type of representative is problematic for the country sure. going forward. They're not bad people. they shouldn't go back to where they came from, which is here by the way, yeah. but yeah, like this this there are other important things that you should be focusing on.
3: The, the one thing, I, I, I don't disagree with much of what I you know said, I know you Nick. shouldn't. The, the one thing I will say is, though, I, I, I want to be careful that we're not allowing... Part of what Trump is doing is trying to flip this back on these four women to say, look what they did. Look how outrageous they are. You're right. And in doing so, don't think about what I said, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's been a lot of conversation about those four women and, and what, especially what Omar has said. Mm-hmm. And she's been condemned for that. But that shouldn't be looked the other way. I mean, the House passed a resolution. I mean, not specifically condemning mm-hmm. her. She apologized for her language. I'm not going to defend her. Right. I think she's... She's problematic in some of what she does, but I will say she is representing her constituents. So she represents a largely Somali population who feels like Jewish interests dominate the political system, right? I mean, so there's there's some ways where um, I understand her position, but that's different than saying go back to your country. So I mean, what Trump? There should be a conversation about what Trump said, Mm -hmm. and then we can continue to have this conversation about the squad. Uh, But let's not get so distracted. That we can't, the president, again, just like Justin Amash doesn't matter as much as like he's the president. We should mm-hmm. spend a few minutes on his rhetoric. Sure, you should absolutely yeah. spend a few minutes D- don't put a and then shiny do thing. your job. Right. It's we, been in the yeah.
2: news cycle for, what, a week now? Yeah. It's, how, whatever. Like it's, it's all anyone is talking yeah. about. So yeah. I, I don't know. We
1: we get I think American politics is way too bogged down in this whataboutism, which is like you, someone criticizes Trump and the response is well what about the other people and somebody Amen. criticizes the other mm-hmm. people well what yeah. about Trump and yep. like Amen. you can take the issues on their own right the, yep. what Trump said is it is I, I mean we can argue about this if you want as somebody who study who like looks at nationalism it's flat out racist right that mm-hmm. I mean it is nationalist I, we could, so if we begin at a point it is nationalist it is about who belongs here and who doesn't and the nationalism it's not a civic nationalism that he's getting at he's getting at certain people belong here and certain people don't right and and so in the fact that it's for women of color that that he targets it, it, just in any in any sense right if I, I just can't imagine walking down the street and someone you know if you saw this happen on the street a, a you know a, a, a black woman or a, or a hispanic woman or whatever and a, and a, someone said to them go where go back where you belong or go back where you're from you would think well that guy's a racist right so i mean I, th- we can talk about that and we can condemn that and we sure. can talk about the other thing but they don't when we start offsetting them against each other that's when we get totally lost like everyone can be wrong in a situation no one can be wrong in a situation one side can be wrong i, I that's the that's the part that yeah and, and the other part that i find weird about this it's not weird there's no there's no doubt that this is this is beautiful for republicans right mm. aoc and and you know the 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 squad yeah. right oh, they're God. not major figures in the democratic party no. they're major figures because fox news has made them major figures because we want to pay attention to them you have a difference there are always fringe people right whether it's steve king in the republican party or whether you know in the democratic party there are people who are saying more extremist or crazy things we, what we have is the President of the United States, the person who the party has solidified around saying this. So that, thats I don't know, that seems like we can point out the problems with the with the four congressmen that he's talking about, but it's a whole nother issue when the President of the United States is saying it, and it, recall, it calls for a different type of response, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I just would add one more thing, and, it, and I know we're way over time on this, ah, but okay. having said a pox <laughs> on both of their houses, uh, I don't mean that in a, in a throwaway way. I, I, I want to know where the adults in the room are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because, the, the, Phil, to your point, and I, I'm so glad you say, let's stop with the fighting about equivalence. Well, who's worse than who uh, sort of thing. It, if you're walking down the street and you're my son and you hear, I don't want any more black voices that aren't black or brown voices that aren't brown. I'm not sure that's any less destructive to your ways of thinking about yourself and, and the rest of your family and friends than is what Trump said. I don't want to compare them in, in terms of their vulgarity as much as to say um, until we stop thinking about human beings based on the way they look and start asking ourselves about the, the, the cluster of experiences and ideas and aspirations. Here's where I'm going to say I don't want to sound pollyanna <laughs> I like it either, but man, this, something, this, this means something to me. I want my kid... Judged based on who he wants to be and how he thinks and what his ideas are, not as Ben darker than Sean, my two sons, and not are they speaking to the color that people think they are. And and what worries me about the brawl between these two sides is they're reducing the conversation in ways that are uh, indefensible and vulgar.
2: Mm-hmm. I would agree. That's a good way to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's let's move on to the peace
3: cross.
2: <laughs> <laughs> peace. <laughs>
3: All right, so back to the Supreme Court for one of my favorite cases of the term, the American Legion versus the American Humanist Association, a uh, who Tom is a dues-paying member of. Uh, <laughs> Tom has previewed this case for us on an earlier episode, but for a quick refresher, <clears throat> it centers on whether a 40-foot cross on public land in Maryland built to honor full, fallen, fallen soldiers in World War I violates the separation of church and state. The court ruled that the cross can remain, And for those keeping score, it's cross seven, humanists two. Uh, But there were significant differences among the seven justices who voted in favor of the cross staying. Tom, in a a rather dramatic passage, uh, Justice Samuel Alito warned, quote, a government that roams the land, tearing down monuments with religious symbolism and scrubbing away any reference to the divine will strike many as aggressively hostile to religion, unquote. Uh, What should we take away from this case regarding the struggle to find a proper balance between church and state?
0: Well, the first one is, uh, first thing to take away is that even in this case, the court couldn't just give us a straightforward rule. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. It's been a very disappointing term. I, even as I sit here, I'm getting as depressed as Nick is. Now, the, <laughs> the more I think about it, the more depressed I get. You did it. Uh, I, I know I did it, but now it's getting worse. I think the outcome is, uh, uh, I, I'm in favor of the outcome. I think the absence of a rule. To replace the lemon test this felt squishy is is more important a failure than that the cross stands so when i previewed it i suggested that this would be the place where that long reviled lemon three-part test would be thrown out in favor of something new that's what justice gorsuch very much wanted to do uh kavanaugh joined him in wishing to do that but Alito carried the day, basically saying, well, it's a really old thing, and we don't pull down old things around here. And <laughs> That's so uh, <laughs> if, Well, I, I guess the point is Alito's opinion leaves room for if somebody had built this five years ago, let's say to honor the dead from Desert Storm, uh, Alito's opinion falls apart because it is so much premised on it's more than 100 years old, it's World War I. I, I, there's no serious rule of law right. in his opinion. Doesn't Breyer say something
3: that if, this, if it was newer, it would not be, not be permissible, right? I,
0: or at least he asks this yeah. question. Okay. If the court's ruling today is old equals protected, new equals tear it down, are we any better off than we used to be? And, and I think the answer is no. Um, Gorsuch argued for a coercion test. And, and this is the one that I think an awful lot of people feel like is the right approach to a new universe where religious cases are hecklers veto cases. The only injury here was that people were offended when they drove by it. No one was forced to worship in a particular way. No one was deprived of a right. No one was treated differently. We just had to drive by a thing that they then decided was offensive and this figures heavily in Gorsuch's decision. He he says I don't want a universe where a tiny minority of offended people change the way the rest of everybody lives if there's nothing coercive about the symbol that uh, um, offended them. Mm -hmm. So I'm disappointed we don't have a replacement for Lemon. I think the outcome is not surprising or, or wrong, but we should have done better than it's old, therefore we leave it.
3: I found myself thinking of Phil when I was thinking about this case. And you're from Texas. Because
0: of that giant cross. Bill <laughs> <laughs> <Phil> finds himself <laughs> thinking about you a lot. Yes.
3: But so when you drive into Houston, there's that big – it's Houston that has the big cross, right?
1: Oh, there's so many cities in Texas Yeah. That have okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> So if a city in Texas decided to do that and, and put up a new cross, that's very different from a
0: World War I cross. And I don't know if this decision helps us at all. It doesn't. Not. Yeah. It doesn't. What would help is a standard that replaces Lemon and says where a a, a government act is coercive, in other words, where it establishes a state religion, it violates the First Amendment. Where it doesn't, it is not unconstitutional. So why not have a more pluralistic approach, which is what most of the people in America live with today anyway? Can we just say that out loud? This is a tiny group of people that is consistently litigating these questions. It's not the broad swath of Americans that are perfectly fine with a cross in one place, a star of David in another, um, any other religious symbols, people are happy mixing them in public squares, people are fine interacting. This is the fringes on both sides fighting with each other, and a coercion test would eliminate this stuff. But mm-hmm. at the
1: same time, we don't want our constitutional rights to be majoritarian rule, though either right. Like oftentimes, the controversial decisions have been fringe decisions that have led to important, a- you know, protection of absolutely,
0: absolutely. I'm not arguing for majoritarian. I think what I'm saying here is most people live their lives consistent with a coercion rule. If government doesn't tell me what I have to believe, if government doesn't compel me to do particular things. If government doesn 't prevent me from doing particular things i 'm fine with my life, and a coercion test relative to these public symbols would effectively mean that in these contexts mm-hmm. is there is there i know we, have, we had this
1: conversation when we talked about this before, but how, how much interpretation like you seem more confident and you, you understand the idea of a coercion test way more than i do so uh, maybe you can clarify, but coer- the idea of a coercion test seems to be still open to interpretation. Right? It seems like I could argue, uh, yes, this big giant cross is on public land, and it's not coercive in the sort of direct sense. But mm-hmm. at, the, at the same time, the president of the United States is busy tweeting that people should go back to where they come from, they're not mm-hmm. welcome here. So mm-hmm. when you combine a giant cross on public, publicly owned land with rhetoric coming out of the presidency, then at some point it's not coercive in a you know you are in our school you must pray to Jesus sort of way Mm -hmm. but you start I I think as a as somebody who studies nationalism I start thinking about the ways in which these things kind of combine to create Mm -hmm. an atmosphere of coercion even if it's not like a direct coercive act if that makes sense
0: yeah it, it makes total sense and it's it's a really important point um on one end of the spectrum you're exactly right mandatory prayers mandatory pledges of allegiance and that sort of thing. Um, All four of us, I think, would reject those instantly. Um, I'm okay with a rule that lets courts make judgments about whether or not the degree to which a person's conscience is, um, I'm trying to think of a synonym for uh, coerced, Mm -hmm. is manipulated. Uh, I'm okay with courts trying to decide where things do that and where things do not. I think that's an easier thing to do than this three-part test that talks about entanglement and purposes and outcomes and all that sort of thing. And my guess is, in some ways, to go back to the old saw about pornography, you'll know it when you see it. Yeah. I don't think any reasonable person driving past that monument to World War I soldiers says, if I'm not Christian, I don't belong. I can't imagine, uh, let's just say, a small Texas town erecting monuments in ways that would say you're not welcome yeah. here. Mm-hmm. If you're not uh, of this religious belief, yeah. mm-hmm. and I'm more confident that judges and and ultimately <clears throat> justices can sort out when that's true or not, than I am when they're excessively entangling religion and the state yeah, uh, in terms of purpose and outcome.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So it may never be clear, but it's an easier it's easier to adjudicate in some ways or better but what to is? adjudicate. Yeah. Right. right? right. I, I, when have you discriminated? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We've got. 700 cases from the Supreme Court trying to figure out when that's a good thing, when it's a bad thing, when it's acceptable, when it's not. Um, No test is going – one test might be almost perfect. That's the gerrymandering test because it's pure, (laughs) unadulterated mathematics. You can't do that in this case.
3: Well, let's transition. We talked earlier about talking about uh, Justice Roberts and his, his role in the court and the role of the court as an institution versus the role of the court as a branch of government. And I, I think we should just dive right in. So, Tom, why don't you start us off thinking about why Roberts' role this term was so uh, unique and controversial?
0: Yeah, well, I'm not sure lots of people are thinking about it as controversial. So maybe I'm raising a point that others aren't thinking about. But um, uh, let me start by saying, in the same way that you often give the caveat, what Trump said was terrible, and now let's talk about something else. Um, I, I really, really respect Roberts, and I've said that many times on this podcast. But, and, and this is a big but for me, this term feels to me like he is more worried about the court's reputation as an institution than he is about deciding cases in ways that are appropriate for American life. Um, so, I, I know you and Bill, uh, or you and Phil kind of talk about being institutionalists who like to institutionalize Espe- lots of things. Norms, because especially norms. You like norms and, <laughs> and that sort of thing. I'm worried that uh, the, the Roberts philosophy is do no harm, don't interfere, protect the court at all costs. And I don't think that's what we've asked great justices to do. Imagine what would have happened at Brown versus Board time in American history if a Chief Justice had said, um, we need to worry about the integrity of the court. Uh, listen, at that time, even even the NAACP's position was, uh, let's argue separate but equal because we'll bankrupt the school systems and they'll have to change. Mm-hmm. And Thurgood Marshall says, we're not gonna do that. It's unprincipled, it's wrong, and we're gonna go to a court and we're gonna ask uh, these justices to say separate but equal doesn't just violate the 14th Amendment. It's wrong. Period. And, and I find myself feeling uh, the gerrymandering case galvanizes it for me. To say in one sentence this undermines democracy but there's nothing we can do about it as the third branch of government where we've got two constitutional amendments that have been invoked feels wrong to me. And I think it's being so, driven not by law but by Robert's incessant worry about uh, the court as an institution. Mm-hmm. So basically, you think that,
1: that deciding the other way on either of the gerrymandering or the, the census question would have been to stir the pot too much right? or would have been controversial. Right. But it could have been
3: historic. I'm thinking about the gerrymandering case. You, you talk about the long-term legacy of a mm-hmm. case mm-hmm. saying that gerrymandering is wrong. That, that could be one of those... You know, paradigmic paradigm paradigmatic. Parad- 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> paradigm changing moments, where everything beyond that we look back to say, this is when we move the democracy in a better direction.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. I'm not looking for the court. I want a restrained court. I've said that many times. Now, and I want a court that thinks very carefully before it overturns precedent. But I'd also like a court that says we are a third branch of government. We're a coequal branch of government, and in these circumstances where the American life is threatened by something, and I don't think that's hyperbolic to say that gerrymandering is, is genuinely threatening American life. I want the court to intervene where the Constitution gives them the right to do that. Listen, we created Roe versus Wade out of whole cloth. There's nothing in the Constitution that even suggests the possibility that there's this sort of penumbral yeah. privacy right that allows for that sort of thing. and. Whether that's right or wrong, let's stop saying the court doesn't do this sort of thing where it's important to American society that it does. And I think they should have done it, in the gerrymandering case. Is, I don't feel strongly like, about the census
2: case. Yeah, but yeah.
0: Is this So we've talked about whether the court is political or not, and, and,
1: and we, there's multiple ways of meaning that. And, and when we've talked about it in the past, we've talked about it more of like party ID for yeah. the different justices. But this feels like and, and I, I, I'm thinking about it. I, I haven't read that much but I've read a little bit um, since the, the death of Justice Stevens who who mm-hmm. was concerned about the politicization of the court mm-hmm. this feels like the politicization of the court not in the RD kind of way but yeah, in the sort of political right, right, awareness right, right, right. Right? right they're playing mm-hmm. the political game mm-hmm. they're, they're acting more like politicians and less like
0: justices in some ways yeah that it's a it's a great observation um, and you'd think with life tenure, they're not worried about themselves. Uh, Roberts is worried about the court, to go back to this word you mm-hmm. like to use, as an institution. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to diminish the importance of the court as an institution, but if it's not doing anything, mm-hmm. uh, and, and man, this is a term where it did very little. When you get right down to it, it did very little. States do whatever you want on uh, second prosecutions. We'll leave the cross-up, but we won't give you a test. You can't ask that question on the census, not because the government didn't uh, uh, have the right to, but because you didn't ask it in the right way. We're not gonna do anything about gerrymandering, even if uh, it undermines democracy. Well, they did some arbitration cases and some business cases, but the big ticket cases, they basically said, we're gonna do the least we can in the least intrusive way we can. And even where there's this enormous consequence, we're not doing anything about that. So,
2: well, I mean, to kind of play devil's advocate with that, and we talked about it to, to some extent. Um, we've seen enough from the two parties at this point. And, and you said it yourself. Where, where are the adults in the room? I think there are enough conversations around the Supreme Court, uh, especially in terms of the upcoming election, but realistically in terms of just political positioning, that if they did come down one way or another, that creates a huge just firestorm on, on one side, uh, or, or the other, uh, in either of those two situations, it would have been terrible. And we already uh, have been dealing with conversations about packing the court and, and changing up the makeup of it. And from an institutional security standpoint, I can kind of understand his reasoning, at least at this point in time, I guess my issue would be, how do you come out of that? I, but, I agree but, but with you. F- I yeah. But no. here's the
0: one step too far. I don't want to monopolize, but here's the one step too far, um, Here's who'd be angry about a gerrymandering decision that adopted a standard and made it fair. Mm -hmm. Incumbents. That's it. Uh, Republican residents of states gerrymandered Democratic would have said, yay. Democratic residents of states gerrymandered Republican would have said, yay. States that aren't totally gerrymandered would have said, now we're not going to be that. No one's angry about that except these people that make their entire life being reelected and doing a big pile of nothing mm-hmm. for anybody. Politically.
3: <laughs> I mean, I and mean, he shouldn't make his decisions politically, but voting the other way in the gerrymandering case and then voting the other way on the census case, Republicans get what they want. Right. Democrats get a big win. I mean, exactly. that, that would have been, you know, you can't make that decision. Or even say, yeah.
0: I'm going to, things that undermine mm-hmm. the fundamentals of America, uh, American, we're going to do something yeah. about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe we won't do something about the census question, but at least do yeah. something about gerrymandering. I, f- well, I feel very passionate today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in fact, I'm almost worried that I've gone too far. No. Maybe we need, for the first time ever, edit the podcast. Kavanaugh got all excited about uh, his kids, his wife, gerrymandering. Man, his we'll, we'll change in your the voice. In the Man, Everything these things matter, though. though. What's that, Phil? <laughs> I said, your
1: kids, your wife, and the Supreme Court, the three things most dear to you. as <laughs> my beloved
0: Constitution is number four, and they're all under fire
3: here. I will say, I don't know if anybody is in more pressure in the U.S. political system than Roberts. Because, you know, Roberts, it seems like he gets hit from the left a lot, and he does. But the the attacks he gets from the right are vicious as well. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, mean, the, I feel bad for the guy because... You know, he's he's trying to hold this institution together and he's getting hammered from both sides. There's it's no okay. way he can win. It's a difficult yeah, mm-hmm. line to walk.
1: But the logic of it, I mean, to to go, kind of go back to your point, Tom, the, the logic of it, I, I am an institutionalist, right? Bill and I talk about this, the importance of the institutions. But if I'm Roberts and I'm trying to protect the Supreme Court if the way you have to protect the supreme court is by like you're saying never making an a decision to actually change things then what's the point of protecting the supreme court Amen. the point mm-hmm. of the institution is to be able to make like you want an institution mm-hmm. that is legitimate so mm-hmm. that when it makes hard decisions people are willing to abide by those decisions right, but if you have to abandon any decisions to maintain your legitimacy then we the, the whole process has has, has become and, pretty and they, mm-hmm. and they are that
0: <laughs> look when when bush versus gore was decided this gave the presidency to one side, and it turns out it didn't take it from the other, given the way those votes would have gone. But everybody went to work the next day and said, Bush is president. Mm-hmm. The court said so. It makes us angry. It, it was terrible. I mean, Stevens wrote, yeah. you remember, a dissent in that case that was scathing. Right. Yeah. But everybody got up the next day and went to work. What I want is a Warren. I, I, Earl Warren was not probably my favorite guy that ever lived in terms of the outcomes of cases. But remember what he did in Brown versus Board. He realizes that he's got to get unanimity, but what he doesn't do is punt. So he mm-hmm. cuts the case in half and says, let's just decide Brown one on the question of what's right and wrong. And then we'll come back later when people aren't looking maybe mm-hmm. and decide the questions like busing and that sort of thing. But he did something, Phil, to your point. I'm so with mm-hmm. you that find a better way to do this than not do something. Yep.
3: Agreed. That's a good way to finish up on this one. All right. One final topic. Boris. All right. So our final topic, we're heading international and looking at the United Kingdom, who is hurtling towards a no-deal Brexit in October after both contending uh, contenders to replace Theresa May rejected a compromise deal with the EU. In particular, leading contender Boris, no, I don't need a haircut, Johnson, <laughs> declared that he would not accept the so-called Irish border backstop. The backstop has been uh, thought of as a position of last resort, where even if there was a hard Brexit, the UK and Ireland would agree to maintain an open open and seamless border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Johnson and other Brexit supporters think the backstop uh, keeps Britain too closely bound to EU rules. With Johnson declaring the backstop deal dead, it is increasingly looking like the UK will have a no-deal Brexit from from the EU at the end of October. The EU is exhausted with the U.K. and following this announcement from Johnson sees no reason for further negotiations. Phil, I've always thought you could totally pull off the Boris Johnson haircut. That's just a, just a totally separate note. What's your read of the situation and, and whether – can Johnson's hair save this or is, is, are, are we in deep trouble? <laughs> Phil has a face
0: no. <laughs> that is best with a haircut made for radio. Is that it? Yeah,
1: <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> um, I- I don't know Boris Johnson's hair can't. I mean, there's no sinking (laughs) this at this point, right? I mean, this is this is a disaster. That's that's we're just that seems inevitable at this point. Um, it doesn't seem like it, it has to be inevitable, but it feels like all the major players in British politics are so, you know, we've talked about this. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier today, but the, the extent to which we sort of lock into these oppositional identities, it, you see that playing out in Britain. It feels like there are people who are just, they're, they're even if disaster's coming, they're locked into, I'm not going to admit I was wrong. <laughs> um, I'm not going to back away from a position. And now that, that Johnson is the likely uh, you know, next prime minister or whatever, this is, it's, it's going to end badly. And, and it feels like a, an example of politicians putting, it's not even principle, it's, it's like putting some idea ahead of actual policy. I, this is, you know, I'm not an economist. But I will take the word of the vast majority of economists who say this is going to be an economic disaster for Britain. I do study nationalism. I was at a conference uh, less than a year ago where people were talking about this from a national... Like, things that people don't think about, when you do away with the open border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, between the UK and Ireland, all of the, the Northern Irish Peace Accords are, are tied up in that. They are, they are mm-hmm. premised on that. When that border goes away, those peace accords go away. The number of people right. who basically quit, uh, who, who backed away from their sort of violent uh, approach to, to, to independence in Northern Ireland, um, did so because people could move back and forth. You could live in in the Republic of Ireland and work in the, in Northern Ireland, oh, or vice man. versa. Are we going to get
2: the IRA again? <laughs> <Ooh. Yes. laughs> right. Yeah. So
1: I mean, it's it's one of those where people have talked about the economic side of it, and I think it will be a disaster. But the implications of this are so are in so many other ways, and it feels like it's one of those where people are just they're 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 refusing to. You know, it, it almost feels like a you know head in the sand kind of. I, I that may be the case, but I refuse to to accept that I'm going to I'm plowing forward with with the, the the idea that I came to the party with and I, I just I don't I don't short of another referendum which isn't going to happen and without a change in leadership it's it's where we're going to go and it's going to be ugly and it'll be fun to watch it won't it'll be a it won't be fun to watch it'll be interesting to watch um, anyway yeah
3: Tom you've been to Northern Ireland many times or right? you've taken <laughs> students right I mean you've, you've, you've yes yeah so what's your what's your read on this
0: I thought about it when I saw the the prep for this uh, podcast, more about the art of the deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnson feels to me like Trump in terms of Mm -hmm. his ways of approaching negotiation. May was a person who wanted diplomacy to work. I I still remember saying a year ago or so that I felt terrible for her, that I thought she tried to do the right thing in the best way she could and that everybody abandoned her. Mm -hmm. I still think that, to be honest. I, I, I don't know that she did all of it as well as maybe other people could have. But Johnson feels like what he's saying to Europe is, uh, my way or the highway, make a deal or I'm out, in the same ways we've talked about NAFTA and- uh, Trans-Pacific, a, a partnership, Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, the Iran nuclear deal, mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah. yeah, I think he thinks he gets them back to the table by threatening them rather than talking to them. And so I'm with Phil. This is going to be a really interesting thing to watch because- uh, diplomacy has failed, at least at some levels here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. Europe's sick of it. Yeah. You're right. He's getting out. He looks like he's going to win convincingly. Yeah. Uh, the the prime minister's yeah role. Uh. It, the, it, there's an interesting British aspect to this as well,
1: which is that if you look sort of at the history of the 20th century, it took a long time for Britain to, and I apologize to any british listeners as i say this but it, it took a long time for the british to realize that they weren't the world power they used to be so uh, for the uh, 20 30 years after the end of world war 2 they continued to play the game as if they were the yeah. the hegemon
0: the world mm-hmm. hegemon the sun and never set on their yeah. empire and played right. it and right. played it well played their position well yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and it feels a little bit like there's some legacy of that here. Like I just, it, I, I get the negotiating strategy, but it doesn't feel like Britain, the UK, is not in a position of power in this in this particular situation. I mean, they have they have some. They're not powerless, mm-hmm. right? But they have a lot more to lose here. They, you know, they they need some stuff from the EU. The EU needs less from UK than UK needs from the EU. So, in this so situation. Phil, do you yeah. or, or
0: or Bill, do you, do you think that this is about him? Uh, that's Johnson thinking that if we pull, others do. And dealing with us well uh, prevents Greece or Spain or somebody else from pulling out and then somebody else and then somebody else. And I'm just trying yeah. to think through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you're, I, It sounds exactly yeah. right to me. They're, they're not in a position of power here. Um, but the, and, and I wonder if that's the way he's thinking about it. Well, and it seems like the incentive structure is, I, I would think it's the
1: opposite of what you said, which is that I would think the EU wants to be as harsh as possible. Because to keep don't them in. Because yeah. yeah. is a favorable yeah. negotiation that leads Greece or Italy mm-hmm. or someone else to say, well, that worked for Britain, so let's let's try the same thing. Right. And, and the I mood
3: has that, shifted I, in, in Europe where, you know, France at one time was talking about leaving Italy and Greece. Yep. Now they're all like, we've seen what's going on in the UK. We want nothing <laughs> <laughs> of this. I, uh, yeah. It, it but if
0: like he pulls UK, it off, that changes that. Mm-hmm. I, if,
1: if Britain had, had negotiated really quickly, I, there might have had a more favorable hmm. chance, but yeah. as time yeah. has dragged on, it's gotten so ugly, there are fewer countries who are wanting to go down that route, and so,
2: yeah. Nick? I, I mean, regardless of the the, the perceived power of, of the UK, they are still a major economic powerhouse, and they do have a tremendous amount of leverage in that situation in terms of global economics. Mm-hmm. Um, countries like Spain or Greece or Italy, I, I, I think, Partially because of their their connection to the EU, don't have that power anymore, and because of their own, you know, individual sovereign governments and, and their own elements of corruption, they they don't have the ability to leave. I, I don't think that deal would necessarily work. The EU can be as harsh as they want with the UK, but I, I don't think that it would necessarily be that major players that still remain in the EU would all of a sudden start leaving. The The major ones who are there are the ones that are trying to keep everything together at this point. Germany, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I I think that this will be tough. I don't think it will be an unmitigated disaster like people think it will be. I, I, there will be some hard decisions to be made and, and very quick um, agreements and, and treaties and, and um, border negotiations, but I... I I think it'll get done. I, I don't think it will be as bad as people are making it out to be necessarily. And it's it's gonna happen, right? It's at the end of October. If if
3: nothing's done, it is the hard Brexit, that's that's what happens. If it, it feels to me that we've entered an era in politics, both in the United States and globally, where we're like, Yeah, the solution everybody loses.
2: That's good that's good for me. Right. And <laughs> I just I struggle with that. Why you know, in some but ways, but what is that? Is that it's, is that this situation, or is that the people in the EU who can't leave the EU now because they don't have the economic ability to well, do that? I think in in the just just thinking about mm-hmm. Brexit, I think
3: the EU loses with the UK leaving. That, that sure. hurts the EU. Correct. There's no doubt about that. I think the United Kingdom is going to lose more dramatically by leaving. It's it's in their interest to stay. No. Ireland is going to lose. Northern Ireland is going to lose. I mean, it just, w- where's the reasonableness gone? Uh, well, I don't, oh, we're not talking I, I, about reasonableness.
1: As we were, <laughs> as talking, we were about. talking about this, I was thinking about, uh, you know, when I, in, in my international relations class, when I teach like prisoner's dilemma stuff, there's all sorts of psychological studies and psychology experiments that show that humans are where we, we hate to lose. Right. And we will, mm-hmm. if, if I have to screw myself over in order to screw you over worse, I will mm-hmm. do yes. it. Love it. So, like, right. I mean, there are experiments where I, if I offered all of you, like, if I offered all of you, you know, Bill, Uh-oh. you had the choice of everybody at the table gets a hundred dollars, or you get, you know, two hundred dollars, but Tom and Nick both get ten thousand. Like, oh, we play you'll that, take we? the. Le- like there's <laughs> it's human nature to take the less because it's so unfair. You don't want them to get more. So, uh oh, yep, feel you there. Even though you would get more in opt-in two. Everyone else would get more. I'm here. Yeah, you're tired of looking at me. <laughs> well, your the
3: audio guy. Your connection got poor, so we're just we're just going audio now.
1: Oh. Okay. Well. Anyway, that's my whole point. Is yes, there's there's evidence in psychology that just shows that if I can screw someone else over, I will take a hit myself in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like that's what's happened.
2: I think that's it's that's a we'll good way to end. It's going to be really interesting. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, this was fun. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, wow. So <laughs>
1: we are nailing the technical side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's
2: what happens when you're gone for too long. Sorry, guys. I'll try and edit that part out. Um, if you guys like the podcast, minus that little bit, um, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on, on iOS or Android. Uh, the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, most major podcasting platforms, and then we are partnered with uh, predicted which is a real money political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy or sell shares in future political events. Uh, Barso politics listeners who use the promo link when opening up a new account will receive up to a twenty dollars match on their first deposit. Uh, so, for example, if you open up a twenty dollars account, Predictit will match that twenty dollars, giving you forty dollars to use on Predictit. Uh, like I said, just use the promo link org slash promo slash Barstool Paul uh, 20 and check it out. Um, Tom, thanks as always for being here. Always it's great. So much fun. For always being here. Here. Yeah. Thank you for having depressing me. Depressing as shit for once, but th- <laughs> thank you. It was depressing. <laughs> <laughs> not enough beer. Right? But it was good beer. Good beer. <laughs> good beer, not enough of it. All right. We will be back regular time next week. Um, anything else, guys? This was great. Great. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers.